Celebrating female role models across our community, live from Academy of Mary Immaculate in Melbourne, Australia, you're listening to Be Like Her live on Academy Live. Welcome everyone, live from Academy of Mary Immaculate in Melbourne, Australia, you're listening to Be Like Her live on Academy Live. My name is Simone and my my co-hosts today are Caitlin, Alan and Talia. Our special guest today is Dr. Anita Clark, Senior Urologist at St. Vincent's Hospital. Hi, Anita. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Simone. Um, so first question, who are the women who have inspired you throughout your life, whether it be in your career or just day to day? Well, look, there's been many. I mean, when I started life, I suppose my mum was a big inspiration to me. My mum had 10 children, which is a big family, and she was amazing in what she was able to achieve in a day. Um My grandmother was also very encouraging of women having opportunity, having been very bright herself but never been given any opportunity. And then throughout my school days, I was like you girls, educated by nuns. So I went to Our Lady of Good Counsel and then to Genizano. So we were educated by the FCJ nuns and they were all amazing women who, let's face it, the nuns had careers long before many women in society really did because they weren't having families and so most of them were teachers or worked in health. Um, And I had a couple of nuns who taught me through high school who said, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. And so I decided at the end of school, having got the appropriate marks, that I think I might be a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, hi, I'm Ellen. The next question is, what is your day-to-day life like being a senior urologist? Well, it's busy. Um, I pretty much start my days about seven and finish usually about eight. So it's been a pretty hectic life. Um, I've had quite a lot of leadership roles as well as my work. So my work involves seeing people with problems related to their urinary tract and many of whom then go on to have surgical procedures. My special interest is in looking after people with bladder cancer, which is quite a common cancer in society and the surgery for which is very big. So that keeps me fairly hectically busy. Um, And some of those operations can go for six to eight hours. Um, And then I'm also the head of the urology department at St. Vincent's. And I am chairman of a foundation that's involved with the redevelopment of the hospital that some of you might have seen when you walk past St. V's. So, yeah, so it's a a busy day, but I have some great people around me to help me with my work. Hi, um, I'm Caitlin. Um, What do you enjoy about teaching in your professional career? I love teaching and I think if I hadn't been a doctor, that's probably what I would have done. So um, when I started my career as a urologist, so after I finished all of my learning, I um, worked at Melbourne University developing the curriculum for the medical students and then I progressed on to becoming um, the chairman of training in urology and then I became an examiner at the College of Surgeons and then I became the senior examiner. So I've kind of gone through this process of doing a lot of teaching. Day to day I teach young surgeons how to operate and also do a lot of still teaching of medical students as well. So I think um, teaching, no matter what you do in your life, if you acquire a skill, then sharing that skill with others is probably one of the best things you can do. Yeah. Um, Have you ever felt underestimated while doing your line of work? Look, sometimes I think one of the things that can happen with women, and I've seen this in the leadership roles that I've had, is that women are very good managers. 
We all, if you think of the sort of triad that they talk about with leadership, management is one section of that. And I'm really good at organising things. I've had a busy life and so I'm good at organising. But sometimes those with the vision and those at the top of the leadership sort of take credit for what you're doing. And I think that's probably a, a bit of a risk with women in leadership roles. And we all have to sort of stand back and say, hang on, I did that. I have to start getting the credit for that. So I'm getting better at that, but I'm getting pretty old. <laughs> it's taken me a bit of time to master it. Um, and, and that can happen again when you're in a field where the majority of people are men and you're trying to sort of prove yourself a bit as a woman. Yeah, yeah, that like always happens to me or like mm. I'm sure other girls can um, relate yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, my name's Talia and what made you choose to work in your med- in the medical field? Well, look, a little bit came from the fact that my father was a doctor and so he I always thought if I'm going to choose mum's job or dad's job, I definitely prefer dad's because <laughs> <laughs> 10 kids, no way. Um, so that was a bit of a factor and I spent a lot of time when I was a, a young girl and teenager at St Vincent's where dad was the director of intensive care and so I always thought that I'd like to be a doctor and then I was lucky enough when I finished school to get the marks to get into medicine. Mm-hmm. But then throughout the medical degree, I had a few times where I questioned, was this really what I wanted to do? It was looking like it was going to be pretty hard and that maybe going to see bands and partying like we were just talking about might have been more fun. But um, it, it's been a fabulous career and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty glad I ended up choosing it. Um, what other – if you weren't a urologist, what other job – really interest you in the medical field? Oh, look, I was interested in a number of areas. So I started off my training after you finish your medical degree and then you um, become a doctor, you then go into different specialties. And I actually started off doing obstetrics, which is delivering babies. And I really did enjoy that, but there wasn't a lot of challenge to it in that you didn't ever have to make the diagnosis. You already knew the person was having a baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and also the hours were pretty ordinary. You know, you have to get up a lot through the course of the night. So in the end, it's a, it's a specialty that's combined with a type of surgery called gynecology. And I found that I was really enjoying the surgery more than the obstetrics. So I decided that I would find an area of the body to do surgery there, which is urology. Mm. But at the time, there weren't any women urologists in Australia. And so I didn't really know if I wanted to go into a specialty where there were only blokes. <laughs> and then one of my girlfriends, um, who was a couple of years older than me, decided to do it as well. So we ended up becoming the first and second urologists in Australia uh, who were women. And pleasingly, that's continued to be something mm-hmm. that other women have now gone into. Yeah. Um, what made you decide to specialise in urology? Well, a bit of that story. And then once I started doing it, I realised that there were many women in the community who in that part of their body wanted to see female doctors. So we continued to be encouraged to do that. The specialist training for surgery is pretty onerous. You have to train, well, in my day, you had to train as a general surgeon first and then do a surgical specialty. So I finished my school when I was 18 and finished my surgical training when I was 32. So it was a pretty long haul to get to that. Um, And there's a series of exams and processes of application and everything that you have to do. So 
there were times where I thought, oh, maybe I'll just give it a miss and be a general practitioner. But then I kind of thought, look, you know, I can do it and I liked it. So I just kept going. Mm-hmm. That's like a lot of time put into especially. That's really impressive. It is. Yeah. <laughs> um, you've already touched on this, but has it been more challenging being a woman in the medical field and do you have any specific challenges you've had to face? Yeah, look, it has. And I, I think one of the things that I would say to all young women who are going into an area that is quite male-dominated is it's really important to stay a woman. You don't want to pretend to be a man. And that really happened to me in surgery. Um, there were a lot of women who did surgery who would wear, you know, a navy blue suit and and cut their hair short and sort of look like they were a man. And I never wanted to go down that path. I'm Look, I'm a bit of a fashionista, glamour puss sort of woman. And I've always loved, you know, getting my hair done and getting my nails done and, and those sorts of things. And so I think there's a part of me that wanted to keep that. Um, but look, it has been challenging. I've been in situations where I've been in meetings where there might be a hundred people and I'm the only woman in the room. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think, oh, I wish there was a couple of others with me, but that's getting better, you know, as time's gone on. Yeah. Um, just like a follow-up, what do you reckon in 2022 is like the ratio of men and women in your field? So we're now at 12% of the women, uh, of, sorry, of the urologists in Australia and New Zealand are female mm-hmm. and about 35% of those in our training program. So that's obviously really changed mm-hmm. with what I was talking about. And that Across the board with surgery, it's around about 15% yeah. of women. Now, part of that has come about because women are often thinking surgery is a tough career and it's a tough career to, to mm-hmm. combine with being a mother. Um, and so they tend to sort of shy away from those areas of medicine that are very time demanding. But I think that with time... And particularly with partners now who are often more involved with the raising of children, that's changing. Yeah, that's really good. Um, As a urologist, what are some highlights of your career? Well, look, I mean, the highlight for all of us when when we're doctors and particularly surgeons is that when something goes well from a patient perspective. So I always love it when, you know, I have a patient who comes in who's had a life-threatening condition and I've operated on them and they've survived and got better and then they bring me a nice little gift and we have a coffee and that's lovely. So at a, on a more personal thing, that's been wonderful. Look, probably being involved as the senior examiner at the College of Surgeons was a real highlight for me because I was the first woman to have done that um, and, and it kind of locked fed into that love of teaching that we were talking about before. Yeah. So um, that was a great highlight for me. That's really interesting actually, yeah. If you are just tuning in, you're listening to Be Like Her Live on Academy Live from Academy of Mary Immaculate in Melbourne, Australia. My name is Simone and my co-hosts today are Caitlin, Alan and Talia. And our special guest today is Dr. Anita Clark. So, um... What advice would you give to our generation about getting into the science or medical field? Look, I personally think that the most important thing when you're choosing your career is you find something you love. Mm -hmm. So if you're at school and you love science and you love maths, then you should pursue that as your career. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you can't do it because you can do whatever you like. And But I do say to young women when I speak to them at the College of Surgeons who are looking for this life, is I, don't, I say to them, don't expect it to be easy. 
But then I look at my sisters who are lawyers and teachers and things. No one's life is easy. We all have challenges. We all have anxieties that go with our job. But if you find something that you love and it doesn't matter what that is, then you should go for it. And in the science world, there's so much opportunity now. And in medicine, there's so much opportunity. You know, you can go into research, you can go into clinical medicine, you can go into teaching, whatever you're good at. I'm not that bright in retrospect, you know, I'm not, I was never going to be a person who cured cancer, but I happen to be really good at surgery. So I found my area of medicine that I love and I've perfected it and that's great. And that's what you want to do. And now I can look back and think, well, there's not that much challenging things left for me, (laughs) but, um, I'm sort of lucky to have been able to develop that. And I look back and I think there were not that there was not not that much encouragement when I was a young girl of your age to say, hey, you should be a surgeon <laughs> and specialise in bladder cancer. People would have gone, what? You know, and I was kind of, you know, a, a cool girl who liked to go out and buy clothes and do all of that sort of stuff. And I never thought that I would end up going down that path. But I was lucky I did well at school and, you know, I ended up just pursuing it. So I think you should all do whatever you love. You've picked urology as your specialty and that's very interesting, but has there ever been a time you thought maybe you wanted to go down a different path of the medical field, like a different area? Yeah, definitely. So that obstetrics period um, was something that I did do, but prior to that, I actually thought I'd quite like to do psychiatry. Mm. And so then I worked in a psychiatry hospital and I thought, oh, I don't think that's quite for me. But, you know, so that's the thing with medicine is there's such breadth, you can end up doing a lot of really different things. Trial and error. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was it like discovering your passions? Like what what do you advise what advice would you give for like everyone who would want who are finding it difficult to find what they yeah. truly want to do? I think the thing w- that I would say to you is it doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. Like if you love something, if you think my passion is to develop succulent gardens, then do that. You know, give it whatever you do, give it your time develop that and become passionate about it. That's really what's important because if you don't have that and if you don't have a love for what you're doing, your life will be unhappy. And I think that I see young people now, a lot of whom have terrible anxieties about where their life is going. And one of the things I think it's important to recognise is most of us are not good at everything. You know, I sometimes look at the way people are. I was reading my Genazano news Um, magazine recently and seeing that the girls who get the perfect score, they're also running a marathon and they're in the school play and they're this and they're that. And I think, oh, it made me anxious because Mm -hmm. realistically, you can't be good at everything. I Mm -hmm. was terrible at sports, you know, and I would, every sport I ever tried to play, I was always the worst. But then I suddenly thought, but I'm kind of the smartest. So maybe that's the thing that I have to develop to find a life that is full of passion and I can be passionate about. And, but it was okay to say, I'm not good at sport, mm-hmm. you know, and to acknowledge that and say, look, you know, I, I'm a bit of a believer that God gives us these gifts and that we need to develop those gifts, but we're not, we can't get everything. Mm-hmm. You know, my mum always used to say that I turned around when God was giving out the sporting gifts, but I got two lots of brains. So, you know, mm-hmm. and I like that, the way that she looked at life like that. And whereas my brothers and sisters, my older sister was playing state netball, state swimming, state running. And then when I 
came to school, the sports teachers would say, oh, you're her sister. You must be amazing. <laughs> so, no, no, wait till you see me. <laughs> and so, but that was a good thing. Don't you think, you know, yeah. that I could say, but I was good at debating. You can hear that I'm a good speaker. So I like to talk. And so, you know, I did the debating and I was quite a good singer. So I went into the choir. So I found other interests. And then my brothers used to pay me to do their homework, which was always good. So then I could go and buy clothes, which was my other passion. So, you know, you find your way. Mm. Yeah. What other passions apart from medical and um, shopping for clothes, <laughs> what else really do you love to do? Well, look, I've always been very passionate about animals. So I've been involved with um, some animal welfare groups throughout my career. I also have some horses that oh, um, that so I cool. breed who are be- beautiful in my life. And then I've also got my beautiful staffies who are my dogs um, and fish and a cat. You know, like I've always loved <laughs> animals. So animal welfare has been something I've been br- very passionate about and my my husband is from a family involved with the horse racing industry and so we've um, been involved with some of the rehoming of racehorses and, and the, the treatment of them from a welfare perspective. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, what else, when you talked about um, the helping out the racehorses, like what does that entail? Well, look, it's mainly just ensuring that they're going to the right place when they retire. Mm -hmm. So um, you will have seen in the media that there's often a lot of of, um, discussion about whether this is an ethical thing to do. The thing I've learnt from being involved with this is that horses actually love to run and they're very competitive and that keeping them on it on track is important. But like all athletes, they do have injuries and then when that injury comes, sometimes they're not treated particularly well because they're no longer a source of income for some of the owners. I don't have my horses to give me money. I have them because I love them. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. But it, but the people are different about that and it's really important from my point of view to make sure that they're looked after. The other thing I'm passionate about is education, particularly mm. for women. Mm. Um, and so I have some friends who are of Indian background and I've spent quite a lot of time in India and um, their organisation, which I'm part of, has set up schools for um, particularly for girls from villages who can't access um, government education. Mm. So we do fundraising for that and um, some of that comes through the horses. (laughs) (laughs) Did you personally feel disadvantaged during high school because of your gender? Look, not really. Um, Having said that, Within my family, we with the 10 kids, there were five girls and five boys. And I think my parents probably still were of a generation where they expected mm. the boys to be the career ones and the girls to be the ones who had a family. Yeah. Um, but look, we were encouraged to a certain extent. I think there was still an element of success equated to if you marry a boy from Xavier and have six kids, you're really successful. Yeah. <laughs> And I didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I did have a beautiful boy who's my son, Billy. He is 25 and he's a lawyer and um, he's kind of my big success story. <laughs> yeah. um, what was it like being a part of a big family? Oh, look, it was terrific. You know, I mean, we were really lucky. We had 
we always had friends because our brothers and sisters were with us. Um, we're spread out over 22 years. So my youngest sister was actually born when I was at university. So I spent a lot of time with her when she was a little girl. And then we've had a very big extended family with this. I've got 27 nieces and nephews and then there's nine, I think it's nine great grandchildren. So it's a big family and we've always had lots of people around us. And we've we've had been very fortunate in that our family has been humble. We've never had any conflict, which is lovely. And that comes from my both my parents who were just fantastic people. They were from very poor beginnings. My mum came as a as a, um, a migrant from the UK, the north of England, when she was a teenager and she'd gone to work when she was 12. And my dad um, grew up down in on the Mordialic Creek and he was from a big Catholic family, but he had a complete photographic memory and it was the nun's who recognised that at a junior school level, who said he has to go to high school. And that was really the beginning of our family. My dad was then given a scholarship to go to St Kevin's, which was a full scholarship, and he then finished um, high school and was the first person in his family to ever finish high school and then went to university and did medicine. And then he was the first director of intensive care in Melbourne. So he just was one of those, like, super smart people Mm -hmm. and he was really lucky. And, you know, the... He was like you girls and I, I, we had this sort of Catholic ethos about the importance of education Mm. and the recognition of his talent by those nuns and then by the Christian brothers was what really brought about our big family. And then all of us went to university and we've all had careers and all our kids gone to (laughs) university. So it sort of all started just with that one opportunity. Yeah. Um, What was it like being a part of the University of Melbourne and having such a prominent role in um, their education there? Look, I loved the uni. I went, um, so I finished university in uh, 1988. And then when I did surgical training, I actually did a year of going back there and teaching. So I taught anatomy and physiology to medical students. Mm -hmm. And then I went back there, as I said, and and had an appointment and and developed the curriculum. So I've always had an affinity with the uni. Mm -hmm. I loved Melbourne Uni and I'm still friends with all my university friends. Yeah, we we had a great time. And the 1980s was a great time to go to university. (laughs) We were just talking about the 1980s and how great it was to grow up then. Because there were very few conflicts in the world. Life was just about having fun. Um, And university back then was actually free. So we didn't have to pay any money. So that took a lot of of the pressure off because you you kind of just thought, oh, well, it's not like I'm getting a big bill for this. So we had a lot of fun. It was really good. Mm. So um, I know that you've mentioned before that you have, uh, you have like a great, like a really big family and with such a successful career, how do you Uh, find like a balance for that? Yeah, that's a really good question because work-life balance is probably the hardest thing that most women in any career have to find. And look, I say to people, there's not really a way to say I'm an expert at that. And I probably am a bit of a failure at it in a lot of ways, but I think that you have to suddenly every now and again, you just have to stop and say, okay, I really need to catch up with my family. You know, my mother will ring me and say, I haven't spoken to you for three weeks. (laughs) All right. I'm on my way, you know, and you just have to fill up your days. And and we all do that. You know, we fill up our days with, um, we're trying to make sure that we see everyone and keep in contact with everyone, but it is really tricky. 
And sometimes I come home and I'm so tired and I think, oh, goodness, now I've got to walk the dogs and, (laughs) you know, go ring my parents or ring my sisters or, you know, those sorts of things. And it can be really challenging to do that. And I think there's no easy answer to work-life balance for any of us. Um, And I never have an empty list. You know, I make a list in the beginning of the day of what I've got to achieve and I never do it, but I try. (laughs) Hard work. Um. What has been your longest urology surgery that you've had to do? Oh, look, I I was involved with with an operation on a man that went for 48 hours. Um, So I came in at various times through the 48 hours, which was to take out the whole of his pelvis basically, and we then reconstructed it all with all sorts of things. Um, But look, generally the the majority of mine that would be long would be somewhere between eight and ten hours. And as I'm getting older, that's getting harder to stand up for that long um, and concentrate for that long. I'm pretty lucky in that I can operate and talk at the same time, which isn't surprising. Um, but, you know, and we listen to music and, you know, we try and have little breaks and that sort of thing. But, you know, it is quite um, hard on your body, you know, um, and you're sort of standing with your I, – I have to turn down to the pelvis and sometimes I, I think, oh, goodness, you know, I wish I had the robot, which has become a part of our surgical armamentarium to try and take some of the heat off our bodies is to use um, surgical robots and that's becoming a really important part of the surgical and medical field, which um, will probably be beyond my career where that becomes the norm to use those things. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, like, at the start of your career or even now, do you, like, ever feel a bit squeamish about, like, cutting people open? And <laughs> no, <laughs> look, it was the one thing that I knew that I could do. I remember when I was probably about the same age as these girls, we went to St Vincent's and on a sort of um, – tour from Genazano to go to see some of the patients there to encourage us to do nursing. And so we went to the orthopedic ward and in those days there was lots of people with sort of screws and plates and things going into their legs and a couple of people fainted and, you know, then the nurses were all saying, oh, this is what you do as the nurse. And I thought, I don't want to be the nurse. I want to be the one who puts that in there. (laughs) (laughs) And that's when I kind of started to click that maybe that's where I was heading. But I've never, I've been lucky that I've never really had you know, difficulty with that. But I did have the advantage also of spending a bit of time at the hospital with my dad when I was a child. So, you know, I got used to the smells and all of those sorts of things that people find challenging in the hospital setting. Yeah. Um, That's all we have time for today. Thank you to our guest, Dr. Anita Clark. It's been a great pleasure talking to you today. Um, This is live from the Academy of Mary Immaculate in Melbourne, Australia. You have been listening to Be Like Her Live on Academy Live. My name is Simone and my co-hosts today were Caitlin, Alan and Talia. Thank you for joining us and we hope you have found the information today useful. Until next time, have a great day. Fantastic. Thanks. Celebrating female role models across our community, live from Academy of Mary Immaculate in Melbourne, Australia, you're listening to Be Like Her live on Academy Live.